Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome back to another episode of Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. You know, Robert Kiyosaki once said that finding good partners is the key to success in anything, in business, in marriage, and especially in investing. On this show, we talk a lot about passive income and passive investments and how to create wealth through those vehicles, especially real estate. But what about partnerships or syndications? Today, I want to explore the world of investment partnerships. They're also known as syndications and how you could potentially participate and profit from them as well. So what is a syndication? In its simplest form, a syndication is just the pooling of investor money where the investor is typically a passive, limited partner. The other partner to the deal is really a general partner or an active partner, and that's the person that puts the deal together. They manage the business plan, they provide the return and the benefits to all investors. So you'll hear the term general partner or GP heard often. They're also referred to as the syndicate or the sponsor. These terms are used interchangeably. But at the end of the day, a syndication is nothing but a group investment. It's a pooling of investment capital to put into an investment opportunity that is managed by a syndicator. So we have an amazing guest on today's show, someone who I'm getting to know quite well. In fact, I'm meeting for him for lunch here in a couple of weeks, and we had a great opportunity to get to know each other recently. His name is Mauricio Raoult, and he will be on the show here in just a few seconds. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. It's my pleasure to welcome Mauricio Raul to the show. Mauricio is the founder and CEO of Premier Law Group, a boutique securities law firm. He's a licensed attorney with over 17 years of experience. His expertise is in private placements, and he has helped clients raise well over $100 million in capital. He frequently shares the stage at conferences with world-renowned authorities such as Robert Kiyosaki, Ken McElroy, Tom Hopkins, Simon Black, and economist Peter Schiff. Mauricio, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. I appreciate it. It's great to have you on, my friend. I had the privilege of finally meeting you at a video recording studio in Phoenix where you and I were part of a curriculum or are part of a curriculum for an upcoming wealth training program, along with some big names like Ken McElroy and Tom Wheelwright, among several other high-profile names. And honestly, I felt like a small fish in a big pond there. So it was my opportunity to just actually get to know you and invite you on the show because I know you're a wealth of information. Yeah, I appreciate that. And yeah, I think that makes two of us uh, being a small fish in a big pond. Our good friend Buck had some pretty impressive names and uh, it was just a, a pleasure to be among those. And it was great to share some time kind of, uh, I wouldn't call it the green room, but I would definitely call it a little bit of the backstage and we had a chance to, to chit chat and get to know each other. So that was, that was really good. Was yeah. Really great. Yeah, for sure. It's great. And I'm actually looking forward to getting to know you better and actually doing some work with you. So let's start off with a little bit about you. Why don't you tell us how you got into the world of real estate syndication? Yeah, well, I've been doing this for a while now. I actually, after I graduated from law school, I did basically what every lawyer dreams of doing, which is I went to work for a fairly large law firm down in Southern California. 
and uh, I did a lot of securities work back then, but it was really litigation, right? I was doing all the court cases, depositions, trials, you know, motions, all that fun stuff. Anytime somebody got into trouble, that's when they'd call our firm and I would defend them from their securities violations. But I realized early on that that's not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I didn't like the law firm life. And fortunately for me, I was exposed pretty early on in my law career to the Rich Dad folks, Robert Kiyosaki and his little purple book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that got me on a path to meeting certain individuals, which kind of got me out of the law firm and into sort of in-house with some of the real estate guys. And I think uh, your audience probably knows uh, those guys. And so I was in-house for them and I started doing all of their securities work and all of their syndications when they were raising money back in the day. And that was kind of my gateway out of the law firm and into sort of the real estate world. And shortly thereafter, I started my own firm and my own practice. Now it's been, I think, 12 years since I've had my own firm and just been going at it now for, for that much time and just really focusing on helping other individuals, other real estate investors do bigger and better deals through the vehicle of syndication. Great. So, you know, as I mentioned to you before, I'm in the process of underwriting three opportunities right now that may eventually be available to our audience and our investors. But I know you do a lot of work with syndication, so I think the best place to start here is with the basics. Let's kind of just break it down into its fundamental components, and then we'll build up on that. You know, the most obvious question to ask you is, what is a real estate syndication, or maybe even more generally, what is a syndication period? Yeah, great question. So a syndication is simply the pooling of resources. Most of the time you think of money, but it can be credit, it can be relationships, it can be time, it can be pretty much anything. Anytime you're pooling those resources and you're managing those resources for a goal, that's a syndication. And so the example that I like to give, the most simplest example, uh, here's a really simple real estate syndication. You get together with four of your buddies to take down a deal that's $100,000. And so you get $25,000 from four of your buddies and then you become the fifth partner because you put in all of your time, your knowledge, your expertise, you're finding the deal because your buddies don't have time or don't really care. And so that's it. You've pooled $25,000 for a friend of yours. You've got $100,000 in the door. You run the syndication. You guys split the profits five ways. That's a syndication. So I guess that's synonymous to a group investment or a that's partnership. exactly right. It's, or a partnership. It's a group or a partnership. Most people don't realize sometimes that you can have a syndication with two people, actually. So as long as anytime you're responsible for pooling those resources and, and managing that money or managing those resources, you are engaged in a syndication. So I guess for purposes here, we can refer to as a syndication, a group investment, and a partnership as one and the same? Yes. Okay. All right. So here's a loaded question. <laughs> Why would someone want to invest in a group investment or a syndication? In other words, what are the pros and cons? Yeah. Well, the big pro is most people at some point in their careers, even if they're real estate investors already, at some point you run out of your own money. Right? You either run out of your own money or you run out of your own credit, especially if you're starting off a single-family home. You're maxed out after, I think it's 10, 10 Fannie Freddie loans these days. So at some point, every real estate investor gets to the point where, number one, they either run out of their own money, and so you have two options at that point. You can either stop investing and wait until one of your properties liquidates to go do another deal, or you can continue to invest by utilizing the resources of other people and basically other people's money. And then the other reason to do it is if you're playing at the space where you're doing single family homes that you want to jump into a larger game. So you're doing single families and you want to jump to multifamilies, which is obviously a lot more money, and you don't have all that money, then that's the time you tap into other people's money and a group investment. Sometimes the way I like to look at it is when you as an investor want to participate in a much larger deal that you couldn't do on your own, whether it's because you don't have the expertise or you don't have the capital to participate in a larger opportunity. This is a way for you to participate with other real estate investors to take part of and benefit from these bigger deals. Is that 
true? Yeah. And Marco, you made a great point. As I mentioned at the beginning, you know, my job is I represent syndicators. So I typically represent the individuals putting this deal together and gathering all the investors. But yes, there's also the other side, which is if you're one of those investors who's looking to invest in a syndication, then one of the beauties of the syndication is that you can get started with a lot less money. I mean, if you have $50,000, for example, to invest, you're not going to go out there and buy a multifamily apartment complex. You're probably not going to buy even a single family home. But you can pool that money, like you said, with other investors and get into a much larger deal and be able to benefit from those economies of scale and the beauties of multifamily, be able to do that with your $50,000 investment. And sometimes it can be as low as $25,000 investment. So you can do something you ordinarily you wouldn't be able to do. Yeah, and there's also the question of deal flow. Most investors don't have access to deals on a consistent basis, whether it's monthly, weekly, or even daily, which is the case for me sometimes. So when you have access to these more exclusive or unique deals, you can take advantage of that, or we could take advantage of that, and then bring in sure. these other investors to participate. Yeah, so that's absolutely, so deal flow is another big one. But another good reason is just, just flat out expertise. I mean, if you're just starting in the real estate world, for example, and you've never purchased a multifamily you know, 200 or 300 unit apartment complex, well, you can now partner with somebody who does have that expertise, who's not, it's not their first rodeo, that they have a team in place, they have the expertise in place. You can piggyback off that expertise provide the capital, whatever portion yours is, and you get to participate in the deal itself. It's a great way to learn. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to syndications, there's some terminology that's thrown around, and I think it's good to get this out of the way as well, because this is kind of that fundamental building block. We talk about syndicators, and that's essentially the sponsor or the person putting together the syndication. But we also hear about the accredited investor, who is that? And then we hear about PPMs and Reg D and Rule 506. Maybe you can... Touch on each of these without going into too much detail so we don't let people's eyes glaze over. Yeah, let's keep it really simple. So one of the important things to understand when you're doing a syndication is the difference between what's called an accredited investor versus a non-accredited investor. And the reason that's important is that sometimes eligibility-wise, only accredited investors can actually participate in the deal. In its simplest format, anybody, an accredited investor is anyone who has over a million dollars in net worth excluding their primary residence or earns $200,000 a year or has really technically earned $200,000 a year for the last two years and has a reasonable expectation of earning that or more this year. That's what an accredited investor would be. And then obviously a non-accredited is one that does not fall into either one of them. So you don't have to do both. It's either one or the other. Okay. So PPM is an abbreviation for a private placement memorandum. It sounds like a Very important document, and for the most part, it is, but what is a PPM? Yeah, PPM is very critical. So one thing to understand, just kind of taking a step back, anytime you are involved in a syndication, anytime you're handling other people's money, so if you're the syndicator or you're the sponsor, you are dealing in what's called, you're dealing with security. So that's why the securities laws comes into place. And so anytime you're selling the security, you need to provide your investors with all of the risk factors and all of the disclosures necessary for your investors to make an intelligent decision. And the private placement memorandum is just that. It's a document that outlines all of the disclosures and all of the risks, all the ways you could lose your money, all the information that you require in order to make an intelligent decision as to whether this is an appropriate investment for you. I always analogize it to when you go to the doctor's office and you have some type of minor surgery or even surgery, they give you what's called a a medical consent form, right? And they tell you in that form all the dangers of this surgery. And even if it's, I mean, I remember having my wisdom teeth taken out and I had to go under. And, you know, all the chances that you can die from having your wisdom teeth taken out, <laughs> all, all the risk factors from having the operation or, or the procedure, that's what the PPM is, just disclosing everything for your investors. 
Yeah, I jokingly say that the PPM is a list of all the reasons why you shouldn't invest in an investment. Yeah, you know, it's funny. A lot of people, a lot of investors themselves, they want to see the PPM and you know, that's kind of part of their investment decision. And I always joke, nobody invests in your deal based on the private placement random. If anything, you've got to convince them above and beyond through your other means, through your marketing, through your conversations, so that by the time they read your PPM, they don't get too scared away and don't invest in the deal because it certainly is going to give them all the sort of worst case scenarios and how they can lose all their money. Right. So at a very high level, these offerings can be either registered, exempt, or illegal. And I know you talk about that. So just touch on that and then maybe slide into what's referred to as Regulation D or Reg D and why that's important to know. Yeah, well, you stole my thunder there because that's kind of my joke that I used to do on stage. Sorry. But yeah, any, <laughs> that's okay. Anytime you deal with a security, you fall into the securities laws. And as I always say, there's three things you've got to worry about. Number one, you either register your security with the Securities Exchange Commission, the SEC, or you find an exemption to registration, or it's illegal, which is my big joke. But we almost never want to register the syndication for a couple of reasons. Uh, the main one being it takes forever. It takes a year or two years to get that through that registration process. So if you're in contract to close on a property in 90 days, you don't have time to wait a year and a half or two years for the government to approve your syndication. And it costs a lot of money. It can cost well north of six figures and sometimes seven figures. So we want to avoid the registration piece. We also want to avoid doing an illegal offering. And again, so that's kind of a joke. And it's not. It's also not a joke in the sense that we're not talking Bernie Madoff here. We're not talking, I mean, we are talking Bernie Madoff, but I assume all of your listeners aren't Bernie Madoffs. So nobody's going out there with the intent to defraud people, but you can certainly have an illegal offering, for example, by failing to provide sometimes a private placement memorandum. You know, that, if that is a requirement and you fail to provide that PPM, then you have engaged in an illegal offering. So because we don't want to do a registration and we don't want to do an illegal offering, we're always looking for an exemption. And one of the most common exemptions out there is what you referenced, which is a Reg D or a Regulation D, which if, as long as we follow those six or seven things that are included in that regulation, we have satisfied one of the exemptions to registration. Right. Well, I apologize for stealing your thunder, but I thought it was <laughs> completely on point. All right. So basically to summarize what a syndication and offering is, it's really made up of an investment opportunity that is being filed with the SEC typically as an exempt offering. And what you as an investor would receive would be a PPM, a private placement memorandum, which are all the disclosures and risk factors, along with some sort of presentation material. It might be a slide deck or brochure. And finally, a final document, which is called a subscription agreement, which is what allows you to express your interest or make the investment in that deal. Did I miss anything? Yeah, there's a couple other things that you probably will see in a, in a package, what I call an offering package. So one is a, an investor questionnaire, which is just trying to figure out whether you fall into the accredited or non-accredited status. And that's going to be important for a syndicator because sometimes they're not allowed to take non-accredited and sometimes they're just limited in the amount of non-accredited they can take. So that's one mechanism that we use for them to keep track. And then the other document you will see is depending on the structure in real estate, most of the time you'll be investing in some kind of an entity, uh, probably a limited liability company. And so they will be providing you with the, the operating agreement and the entity documentation because you'll actually be signing the operating agreement and becoming a member in that LLC or a shareholder in the corporation or whatever the structure is. Right on. Okay, perfect. 
So let's just talk about investments in general here. And I know when I ask you this question, the answer will likely be, it depends, as most attorneys like to say. (laughs) So I'm going to say this in quotes. Like, What are the typical, quote unquote, returns that you see today in offerings? And I know this is just really a more of a frame of reference than what should be expectation. But what are you seeing out there? And I'm asking for my own curiosity, too. Yeah. So because I'm not like most attorneys, I will give you a direct answer. I typically see double digit returns from my clients. And so I don't want to say there are minimum double digits, but, but you certainly on average end up getting somewhere between 10 and 15 percent return on your capital over the life of the project. You know, annualized cash on cash, you, you see anywhere from 8 to 12 percent. And then by the time you add whatever equity at the end of the project, you can probably add another four or five percent to that. So it's definitely much more lucrative than putting your money in a CD or buying some publicly traded companies because uh, you just don't have that upside potential. Sure. Now, often syndicators will put in what is referred to as a preferred return. What is a preferred return? That's a great question. A lot of people have a misconception of that. I'll tell you what my preferred return is not. It's not a guaranteed return. So if I were to give you, for example, an 8% preferred, all that means is that 100% of the money that comes in from the company will go to you as the investor until you reach that 8%. And then above and beyond that, we'll, we'll figure out how we split above that, whether it's a percentage or, or how we do it. But a preferred return just means you eat first up until you hit that preferred return, and then we'll split the rest however we agree. Right. And I know just distributions that come from syndications can either be monthly or quarterly. Those are typically the two most common way that distributions are paid. Correct. Minimums, I know, are all over the place. But what I've seen in years past is 25000 is a typical investment. I've seen it as small as 5000 And I've seen... Ooh. I know that's a very small... That's brain damage as a syndicator because you're dealing um. with potentially hundreds of people at very small amounts. And so that's a lot of admin work. Yeah, well, you've got two issues there. Number one, again, representing syndicators, investors typically, especially with your first one in the deal, typically like to invest the minimum. So if you tell them the minimum is 25, they're going to put in 25, even though they may be able to put in 35 or 45. And number two, the, the lower that number is, the more investors you get in the deal. And you're going to probably run into, there are some limitations on the amount of investors, especially non-accredited investors that you can put in. And so the lower that number, it just means you're going to the likelihood you are that you're going to hit that number. And if you're dealing with accredited investors, typically you'll, they're not interested in you know $5,000 investments. They, they want to put a little bit more chunk of That's right. work. Right. So typically the range I see is twenty five on the low end and 100000 on the high end. That's what yes. I've been exposed yep. to. Okay. I would agree with that. All right. Cool. So let's talk about holding periods for a minute. Again, this has a range, and I've seen the low end of that range as three years and the high end as 10 years. Is that typically what you see on syndicated deals? Yeah, I think three to five years. I would say the typical syndication I see is three to five years. Uh, I'm going to say hold period. I would say until sort of the first exit occurs. And when I say exit, it doesn't necessarily mean a sale and maybe a refinance of the property where you're, that's one way to get your money back, or maybe it's a sale, or maybe it's some other mechanism. But yeah, the first one is three to five years, and then it'll just depend on the structure of the deal whether you're staying in after that. Let's say it's a refinance event. Are you once you get your capital back from the refinance, do you stay in the deal? Or do you continue to write until either the next refinance happens or, or maybe at some point they just they just sell it? Sure. Now, the nice thing about investing in real estate, particularly single-family homes, duplexes, fourplexes, is they're very tax-favored. And there's probably people out there wondering if syndications are tax-efficient. Do you want to make any comment on the tax impact from a syndication investment? 
Yeah, the nice thing about the syndication is because you remember as a syndicate, if you invest in a syndication, what you're doing is you're investing in a company, right? You become a part owner of that company. So again, most real estate is held in an LLC. So you would become a 2%, 3%, 10% member of that LLC, owner of that LLC, which then in turn owns the property. And therefore, all of the tax benefits from real estate flow up through that LLC up to its ultimate owners and get a K, what's called a K-1 at the end of the year that shows you what your profit or loss was for the year. But all those, primarily the depreciation, which is one of the greatest uh, tax benefits from the real estate, all that depreciation flows up through the entity up to the ultimate owner and you get to participate in that depreciation just like if you own the property directly. So there's a lot of similarities to a syndicated investment as there are to direct ownership in single family homes or fourplexes. Yeah. And you know, if you structure it correctly, and I don't know if you want to get too into details, of it, but the other great benefit from real estate is, is what we call a tax deferred exchange, a 1031 tax deferred exchange. And I've been doing quite a few of those lately in a syndication structure. So there's even ways to structure it where if you're coming out of a 1031, you can put that capital to work in a syndication. And certainly if it's structured properly, maybe even the syndication. Actually, I've got a client right now who's doing a 1031 who did a syndication, had a group investment. They bought a property. It's doing well. Instead of refinancing or flat out selling it, they're going to 1031 exchange into another property. You know, that's very interesting because a lot of what I've read has told me that it is difficult to do a 1031 exchange from, let's just say, residential property into a syndication. Is that not true then? I didn't say it wasn't difficult, but it can, it can be done. It's much easier to come into the syndication because it's brand new and we can structure it properly. It may be difficult to come out of it if it's not structured properly ahead of time. But let me give an example. As you know, when you do a 1031 tax code exchange, you have to do what's called a like-kind exchange, which means if you own title to a property and you do the 1031, you need to end up with title to the property. So you cannot, for example, have a direct title to a property like a single-family home and then exchange that into a membership in an LLC. That's not a like-kind exchange. Here right. you have direct title. Over here you have LLC title. And so it's just a question of making sure, again, a syndication, you're not married to a particular structure, so you don't have to have an LLC or an entity for a syndication. You could actually have 10 people having direct title into a property, kind of a TIC arrangement, a tenants in common arrangement. That's also a syndication. So as long as we structure it correctly, so let me give you the example as simple as I can. Let's say you own a property, 100% of property in a single family home, and when you sell it, you're going to have $100,000 worth of profit that you want to defer. Then the next syndication, if I'm putting a syndication together, I just need to make sure that when you come over to my syndication, that you have direct title to the property. You're not a part of my LLC with my other investors, but you yourself actually have direct title into my multifamily or my other single family property. That way for you, you go from direct title in your single family into direct title in my syndication. And that's how you do the 1031 exchange. Got it. Yeah, good to know. So it's important to, I think, let everyone know, if they don't already, that syndications are not considered a liquid investment like publicly traded securities are. And I think that's a very important point, because if you get into an investment and it's a three to five, maybe even a seven to 10 year hold period, there's very few ways, if any, to get out of it. So my question to you is, how liquid are syndications and can investors get out if needed? Is there a workout clause typically in a syndication deal? Yeah, there's always a workout club. That's one of our big disclosures in the PPM, so the the lack of liquidity. So unlike a stock that's traded on a major stock exchange, there is no stock exchange, obviously, for your LLC. But that doesn't mean you can't get out. So typically the way 
you would get out if something really happened in terms of an emergency or you needed the liquidity is you would simply have to go find somebody else and kind of your responsibility to go find somebody who wants to come in and purchase your interest from you. In certain circumstances, I know a lot of syndicators, they always want to keep their investors happy. It doesn't hurt to ask, hey, can, can you buy me out or can you find somebody that would be interested in buying me out? You may have to do a little bit of a discount to get a yield up or make it attractive. But there is a mechanism to get out. It just means that the syndicator itself is not intending to either sell the property or refinance the property that will cause a liquidity event. Now, I assume the syndicator or the syndication itself could buy out or purchase the interest from that person, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So there is a way, more than one way to get out. There's more than one way. Of that. The only real restriction you have, and that's also a disclaimer, is think of, you know, when you buy into the syndication, the syndicator is selling the security to you. So when you turn around and try and sell your interest to somebody else, you've got to remember that's also you're selling a security to somebody else. And remember, you, you've got to register that syndication. You've got to find an exemption or it's illegal. Fortunately, there's an easy exemption as long as you wait, wait one year. If there's a specific exemption that addresses that. And so if you wait a year, you can then pretty easily sell your security. But until that, you actually have what's called a restricted security, which means you cannot sell that security for the first year unless, again, you comply with an exemption, which would mean doing a PPM and everything we've been talking about. So I would say at least a minimum of one year hold. Right. Okay. As we kind of slowly wind this up here, I know you're going to love this question. Industry experience is clearly important. And you want to be dealing with honorable people who have years of experience in the industry in question, not necessarily in syndications per se, but they have experience in their industry of choice. So when it comes to doing due diligence, what are your tips or suggestions in terms of vetting out an opportunity? Yeah, and you hit it on the head. I don't think experience is, I think you said it's important, but I think it's everything, right? So that's one of my sort of top five or top six things that I think about when doing due diligence is who is the sponsor? What's their experience? Do they have a team? Is this their first rodeo? What is their success? What is the track record? That's probably one of the most important things you should be looking at. And that's one of your number one due diligence items. I actually ended up putting a, a little due diligence checklist that, I, that I've been handing out to some clients, which I'm happy to share at some point. But that's probably at the top is who are you dealing with and what is their experience? Another one, which I tend to see a lot of in terms of a lot of red flags will pop up, is if you're doing your due diligence, it's just simply taking a look at the documentation themselves, having a lawyer even take a look at it. I mean, I've actually... I do sometimes review syndications for clients. It's not what I do all the time, but if somebody wants me to take a look at a syndication, I'll do it for them. And you'll be amazed to see how many red flags you can see, at least for me being a trained eye, from looking at the PPM uh, and looking at the documentation. You can see if they've been cutting quarters, if it just doesn't add up, the story doesn't add up. And sometimes in all honesty, market, they don't even have a PPM, which is a really a red flag in the event that it's required. And you'll hear all kinds of excuses as to why they don't have it. But at the end of the day, it's just they don't want to spend the money. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. And so that's another huge red flag. It's just the lack of documentation or just uh, documentation that's not really up to speed. Yeah, I agree with all that. The syndicator, the team that you're working with, I think is probably the most important thing. In Absolutely. My, in, in my view, that's top of the list. Yep, I agree. It's everything. So I tried to keep this episode at a fairly high level without making it too complicated. And we could certainly go on and we might end up doing another episode another day. But in wrapping up, Mauricio, syndications are great. They really are for many different reasons, but they're certainly not for everyone. My kind of wrap up question here is when should someone consider investing in a syndication and maybe when shouldn't they? 
I think they should consider it, number one, if, again, they don't have enough money to really go do something on their own because, you know, if I've got $25,000, I'm not going to go buy a multifamily apartment complex. And so that's a great opportunity to go into one of these investments. And going back to the expertise, I mean, if you're competing against experts in the multifamily deal, and this is the first time you're looking into it and it's something you want to get into, that's when you want to ride the coattails of an experienced team and sponsor as opposed to trying to do this on your own and, and learn from the experience. I have a lot of people... A lot of clients actually who got involved in syndication first by investing in one so they can see how it works. You, know, you can always talk to the management team and you can learn from them. And so if you're just getting started or you don't have that much capital, syndications are a great way to get it, your foot in the door. Great. Well, Mauricio, I want to thank you for your time. Please tell our listeners how they can find you or get more information. You mentioned the due diligence checklist. I'm not sure if you want to share that. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. Best way to get a hold of me is probably either through my website, which is www premierlawgroup.net or they can shoot me an email at cs at premierlawgroup.net so either one of those where you'll get in touch with someone on my team and I'm happy if you want the due diligence checklist shoot me an email cs at premierlawgroup.net and I'm happy to send that out to you yeah and we'll also put that in the show notes so people can easily just click on it and go over to your site or pop up an email perfect appreciate that all right sir well thank you for your time and we'll certainly be talking again real soon thanks for having me appreciate it So that wraps it up for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. There'll be more to come in terms of syndications in future episodes. But for now, if you haven't downloaded my free 42-page report or guide, if you will, the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing, please do so. You can do that at PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com or our parent site, NoradaRealEstate.com. Just look in the show notes for those links. And also, if you are looking to invest in real estate in any way, shape, or form, feel free to take advantage of our free strategy session with any one of our numerous investment counselors. We're here to help and answer your questions. And if we can help you, great. If we can't, we'll let you know that too. Do you have a question about real estate or real estate investing? I would love to answer those in an upcoming episode of Ask Marco. Just go ahead and click the Ask Marco button on PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know what your questions are. I am more than happy to cover those in monthly episodes of Ask Marco. And if you haven't already, of course, remember to subscribe and share this episode or this entire podcast with your friends and family. Help us spread the word. Just visit iTunes and leave us a rating and review. I would love to see more of your lovely and humbling comments. There's just, we're nearing 500 five-star reviews and that's just absolutely amazing. So thank you all for that. And last but not least, I want to thank you all for listening. So we will be back next week and we will see you on our next episode. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.